Lord, as we, uh, as we gather today to remember the night that you were betrayed, the night that you celebrated Passover with your disciples one last time, I pray, God, that we would, in our hearts, we would, that this moment would not pass us by without us reflecting upon it. God, sometimes it can be said about Christianity that we go through the motions so often that the impact, the, the weight of what is taking place can be lost on us. And I pray, God, that by repetition we would remember, but we'd also realize, too, that what we are celebrating today, all of reality hinges on this moment. Everything, God. You took a huge chance on humanity, and you... You sent your son to finally fulfill the promises that started in the Garden of Eden. And I pray, God, that that would be uh, impressed upon us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Are we recording, Brock? We good? Yeah. Good morning. Welcome. If you are visiting with us at UCC this morning and you found us at uh, Good Friday, we want to say thank you so much for joining us. We are going to continue on a series we started off a couple of weeks ago. But don't worry, if you weren't with us, we'll, I'll make sure that you, we, we are all together. This morning, we're going to be looking at the topic called the fourth cup. And I'll explain what that means in a moment. Um, let's recap where we've been with this series. Can I make sure we're all on the same page there? This started off really from John chapter 1, verse 29. This amazing moment where John, the cousin of Jesus, sees Jesus and all of a sudden in that moment realizes that his cousin was something more than just his cousin. And John looks at Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away this in the world. And in that moment, John is saying something that is so profound and so incredible that uh, we had to kind of go back and take a look at it. That's where this series has started off with. And over the last few weeks, we have been looking at different moments in this, um, in this time. What I have said to you about this is that Easter did not just happen. Easter did not just take place. It actually was something that God had planned for a number of years, for thousands of years. That there was nothing random about this moment. Um, we looked at the first sacrifice. Remember we looked at the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve sinned. There's that verse there in 21 of chapter 3 where God covers them with animal skins. That was the first sacrifice. God was modeling there something that was going to take place and be a part of the Hebrews' lives for the next few thousand years. We looked at the, uh, the sacrifice system, the start and the failure of it, right? The sacrifice system was if you sinned, you brought an animal, and that animal would take your sin before God, and you'd be cleansed before God. But we saw by the time it got to the prophets that people were now just using this as a way of sinning and kind of justifying their sin. And we looked at Passover, and we looked at that Exodus passage of the first Passover, where God, where, where death walked, walked amongst the Egyptians. And the only way that you would have death pass over your home was by the lamb's blood on the door. And remember I said something, and I really want you to make sure you remember this. When death passed over the household, death did not knock on the door to ask you if you were worthy of the blood on the, ho- on the doorpost. The, the blood was an act of obedience, right? The, God didn't say, are you sure? You deserve this because I don't think you did because of all this stuff in your life, right? The act of obedience was enough that death passed over the home. And that was really key there because it wasn't about how good you were, how deserving you were, how faithful you were to God. It was obedience. And that's where death passed over. And last week, Brian talked about the Day of Atonement. Now remember, Day of Atonement is in Leviticus chapter 16. Two goats. One was set free, the scapegoat. 
but one was killed. And that image there is incredible of punishment, but also release, right? One goat would take the punishment, unlucky as it would be, but one would go free, right? And it's a beautiful picture of us and Jesus. Jesus took our punishment, but we got to go free, right? So that's where we've been over the last uh, few weeks. And, and today what we want to look at is we want to look at the Last Supper, now, what's interesting about this series is, is I could actually have called this series um, Easter Through the Eyes of the Hebrews. Because what I really have tried to do is I've tried to help you see what this whole um, event took place from a Jewish perspective. And so what I have actually been doing is I've been consulting uh, Jewish commentaries and rabbis in this series. Because as Gentiles, there are many clues that are left for us in the scriptures, but we don't understand what's going on. Right? So, for example... What we call today the Last Supper actually wasn't the Last Supper. It's something called a Seder, right? And if you have Jewish friends, you would have, you would have known this event. The Seder is what the Jewish people call the Passover meal. The word Seder is a Hebrew word meaning order. It refers to the ritual presentation of Passover, or more specifically, the reading and acting up of the Haggadah, the, um, the, which is the Exodus text. The typical Seder consists of 14, sometimes 15 parts. Today, these are done in identical order, almost without exception. So remember, by the time Jesus comes along, the Seder had been celebrated for thousands of years by the Jewish people. And it was a way of remembering the Exodus, remembering what took place there. And in the Seder meal, what happens is there are four cups that are, are, are brought to the meal. The four cups represent the I will statements from, G- from God. Now, in Exodus chapter 6, remember, God is speaking to the people, and this is what he says. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am your Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So the Seder is actually taking this particular scripture and acting it out. What I love about God is that he doesn't just teach us by words but by, or even by picture. But what he does is he creates this tradition, right? This is why traditions are important. But the interesting thing about this tradition as well, too, is friends and family would gather to remember this as well. And in the Seder meal, children actually had an important role as well, too. So God brought the family together to remind them of what he did for them thousands of years ago in, the, in, the, in Egypt. Now, the Seder works like this. There's four cups that are, that are spread out throughout the uh, Seder meal. And the four cups represent the four I will statements, right? So the first cup is called the cup of sanctification, right? This is where God says, I will bring you out. So in the, in the meal, the first cup is drunk, and it is to remind them of, of the first I will statement. The second cup is called the cup of deliverance or thanksgiving, which is when God says, I will free you. So in the meal, the second cup is taken, and this is the cup that, um, that the people, when they, when they drink it, this is what they were reminding themselves. The third cup is called the cup of redemption, where God says, I will redeem you. Right? And the fourth cup is called the cup of completion or the halal. It is the I will be your God statement. So throughout the Seder meal, there's about 14 steps without it, but there's four cups that are drunk in the midst of that to remind them of the four I will statements of God. So it's a it's this beautiful picture about uh, what God does. Uh, a guy by the name of Rabbi Rule Dillon says this, uh, these four cups teach us about the four steps God takes his people through as he prepares them to dwell in his kingdom. The four cups were the four ways of preparing yourself because the four I will statements is God starting off by saying, I will take you out. And it ends off by saying, I will be your God. 
So the four cups, the four steps are actually the four uh, movements of relationship that God wants to have with his people. So that's where this kind of comes from. But what's interesting is about, about this whole thing is that when you read the Passover meal, the Last Supper, this is actually taking place. In Mark chapter 14, verse 23, it says this. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given things, he gave it to them all and drank from it. Now, this passage should be familiar to you. You've read it. You've heard it said at communion uh, services. But what you don't, may not know is what cup Jesus is referring to. In verses 24 to 26, and this is really key here. This is what Jesus says about the cup that he's talking about. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, and I have to remember this. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Something is happening here, but because we are Gentiles, we miss it. Okay? A couple of things are taking place here. God, Jesus is taking a cup, and he says this cup, whichever cup he's referring to, is the cup of my covenant, of the blood covenant. But the second thing Jesus says, and this is really important, he says, I will not drink again until I'm into my kingdom, until my kingdom has come. Okay? The reason that's really important is because we're going to see when Jesus drinks the fourth cup. And it might surprise you when this takes place. Now, the third cup, the, the 13th step of the Passover meal is called the barach. Now, the barach is the grace after the meal. So they've just eaten the lamb, and this is now when they have this next cup. So in the barach, the third cup of wine is poured. Because remember, in the scriptures, it says, after the meal. And the birkat ha-mazon, grace after meal, is recited. This is some, uh, similar to the grace that would be said at any Shabbat, but with a special insertion for Passover. At the end, a blessing is said over the third cup, and it is drunk. So in the 13th step, this is towards the end of the Passover meal, the third cup is poured, and all the participants will, be, will, will drink from this cup. Now, in Luke chapter 22, this is the reason why we know this is the third cup, because Luke tells us when this takes place. In the same way, after the supper, this is after the lamb is consumed, he took the cup saying, this cup, right, this cup, whatever cup he's referring to, it's this cup, is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Because we know when this happens, because we know what order of the Seder that Jesus is in because of what's taking place, we know he's talking about the third cup. So Jesus holds the third cup, which is, remember I told you, the cup of redemption. And he says, this is my cup. This is the cup that I'm about to drink. This is, this is what I'm about to do. I'm about to redeem you from your sins, from your life, from what has been. So the third cup is the cup that Jesus says to, uh, to himself that this is my cup. This is the redemptive cup. This is the cup that it was um, foretold of thousands of years ago. And Jesus owns this cup. He says, this is my cup. This is what I'm about to do. Now, what's interesting about this, though, is there's now an, the last step in the Seder meal is the Hallel, which is the praises. The standard group of psalms that make up that full halal are recited at this point. A blessing is recited over the last cup of wine, and it is drunk. The halal is actually Psalm 115 to 117. At the Seder meal, the family will go around and will read portions of the, of the psalm passage. That's the songs of praise that they will read. Um, the reason why some of the psalms are called the songs of ascent, it's the songs of leading out of Egypt to the promised land. Right? The imagery is, is recited and reminded of the people there. Right, Because in Matthew, it tells us, after they drank this cup, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So they did the Hallel, 
So they know that this is actually what's supposed to happen. This, so Jesus, the Passover meal, isn't just Jesus having chicken wings with his disciples, although I think that would be a pretty good thing to have, right? It's actually an ancient tradition carried out by the Hebrews for thousands of years. And because if you sit down with a Jewish family today and have this meal, it's the exact same order. Everything I'm telling you, they'll happen today as well, too, because they still celebrate this meal. But what's interesting about this is a Passover ceremony is incomplete. The fourth cup isn't poured, and Jesus doesn't pronounce the benediction. Where I came up with this sermon, actually, was when I was reading through a lot of um, um, 5th and 6th century uh, rabbi, they call rabbinical commentaries, and one rabbi, uh, the article was this, it said, the incomplete Passover. And I thought, Okay, this is interesting. So I, I read it, and this rabbi is using um, the Passover meal, the Last Supper, and says about Jesus, he says, he's not even a good Hebrew because he doesn't finish the meal. I never heard that before. Because, again, for Gentiles, we think this is actually what's supposed to happen. But for a Jewish person, they're reading through, and they're like, oh, wait a minute, he's not done yet. The meal's not over yet. And so I, I, this article actually set me down this path of going, what's actually happening here? What am I missing? What do they see that we don't see? And then what happens, uh, what, what's supposed to be taking place? Because remember, every aspect of the Passion Week, remember uh, two weeks ago we looked at the Passover, the lamb, right? That week leading up to it, we saw how Jesus fulfilled every aspect of the lamb. The cleaning of the house, the examination of the lamb, and even when the lamb was crucified, right? The 15th of uh, Nisan is when the lamb was crucified. That's when Jesus is crucified, Right? So every aspect of the Passover week has been fulfilled by Jesus. So you have to think to yourself, the Passover meal itself says something that's significant. So this rabbi in this obscure little article that I think was written around the 6th century uh, said to me that there's something wrong with the Passover meal. That Jesus makes a mistake here. Or does he? What happens in this meal that the Hebrews look at and going, oh, it's not done yet. Because all of a sudden, it said to me, what is incomplete here? What's missing? And why is it missing? And that's the mystery I want to solve this morning. Because when we see what's missing, all of a sudden, the plan of what God does unfolds for us. Now, let me give you a little background here. Lots of words on the screen. Relax. I'll read it to you. Part of the problem is that we do not understand the Passover imagery which Jesus was using. Jesus and the apostles had just come from eating their Passover meal, during which time they would have drunk deeply from the three cups of wine. At that time, the table would usually share one large communal cup. The custom was that when the cup came to the place you were reclining, you must drink from it as deeply as you could, like a big gulp, before passing on to the next person at the table. Before you could let this cup pass, you had to drink deeply from it. So what would happen is there would be a communal cup, and each person in some of the movies you see this, right? The disciples are sharing this cup, and it goes around. The family members would share it as well, too. For the children, they would have juice just to let you know. And so what would take place then is each person would drink of the same cup. It's a way of showing the unity of understanding what this cup represents, right? And for a Jewish family and, and their friends and whoever else would be there for that Passover meal, they would pass the cup around and they would each drink from it. But realizing that at some point in time, the cup will be emptied, you refill it again. And so you, you continue to pass it on. But it's not refilling. That's kind of interesting, if it was emptied, it would be filled again before being passed on. Often at the bottom of a cup, there were the bitter dregs from the wine. If you were the person to empty the cup, you must drink the bitter dregs as well before you let this cup pass. 
So when Jesus prays, let this cup pass for me, he is not saying, I don't want to drink it, but is rather saying, let me drink of it as deeply as possible I can before I pass it on to humanity. Let me empty it, let me drain it, let me drink of all of it, even the bitter dregs at the bottom of the cup. And see, in the, in the Hebrew context, they would have understood this. So Jesus, when, so in the Bible, in the garden, Jesus prays three times to let this cup be taken from me. And three times people have said, Gentiles have said, oh, Jesus is afraid of what's about to happen. He doesn't want to drink this cup. And we take that to mean that he doesn't want to drink this cup. But for the Hebrews, what they understand is he does not want the cup to get past him. That he has to drink everything that's in the cup before it gets to humanity. So in the garden, three times Jesus prays, let this cup be passed from me. Let this cup be passed from me. Let this cup be passed from me. And we read that as Gentiles, we're going, oh, poor Jesus. He doesn't want to go through the pain and suffering of crucifixion. And we say, rightfully so, oh, that makes sense. Because what person in their right mind would want to go through it? But to the Hebrews, what they say Jesus is saying is, let me drink as deeply from this cup as possible so that the next person doesn't drink any of it. The bitter dregs of it, every aspect of it must be, must be drunk by Jesus. Okay, so what we see here in, in, this, in this, part, this incredible scene, and I have to tell you, this has transformed my understanding of the Passover week and the Passion week, is because what I saw Jesus before is kind of timid. Like, oh, I don't want to go through this. I now see a bravery where I thought I saw a fear. Now I see Jesus actually saying, I want to make sure that humanity does not have, there's nothing left in the cup that humanity has to suffer. Because upon the cross, something, has to, something is taking place here, but... Spoiler alert, I'm not going to give it away here. Okay, so now look at this here, okay? In the Hebrew New Testament, there is a translation of the New Testament that's written in Hebrew, not Greek. They, they talk about this point of time when Jesus says, I, I don't want this cup to pass for me. Now, I'm going to show you something here. So in, um, uh, so in Matthew 26, verse 39... Uh, in place of the Greek word uh, periokimai, the Ginsburg Hebrew New Testament contains the Hebrew word abar, which means to pass through. This is crucial word in the account of the Passover. In that account, the Lord passed over, death passed over the house of the Israelites, which had blood of the lamb on the doorpost, but passed through the house of the Egyptians that did not. So you see what's happening here, right? Passing over means death will pass over the home. But for those who do not have the blood, what happens is death passes through the home and visits death upon the home for the oldest, right? So pass over, pass through, right? Jesus, there's two words for that there, Peshach, which is to pass over, and Abar, which is to pass through. Now, here's what you find here in the Hebrew Bible, okay, is that when Jesus is praying this, he uses the word Abar, it appears that when Jesus prayed to let this cup pass, he used the word abar. He was not praying to escape the pain and suffering and have it pass over the peshach about him, but was praying to take it on fully to experience the pain, death, and suffering of the cup of God's wrath. Now, now look at this, okay? In the first Passover, those who obeyed had death pass over their homes, but the lamb, that was, the lamb had death pass through it. The lamb bore death, so the home was spared. Remember, death passed over the home, but the poor lamb did not have death pass over itself. It received the death. Remember that beautiful image of of only death can pay for sin. Only death can pay for life. 
The Passover meant that in that home that the blood was on the doorpost, something inside had died so to, uh, to provide protection for that home. When Jesus prays in the garden, let this not pass from me, he's not saying, he's not using the word pass over. He does not want death pass over him because if it passes over him, it lands on us and the cross is futile. Instead, Jesus says, a bar, let death pass through me. Let me be the lamb that absorbs death so humanity doesn't. So what happens in the garden is this flipping moment of what takes place here. Now, remember I said to you a second ago that Jesus says at the Passover, I will not drink this cup, uh, the fruit of the vine, until I'm in my kingdom. Now, what's happened here is on the cross, something takes place here, and we miss it because we don't understand what Jesus is doing here. In uh, John chapter 19, verse 18 to th- uh, 20 to 30, it says this. Later knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus says, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar, which is sour wine, is, and for the, uh, I'll tell you in a second, kind of excited, um, was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus says, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Do you see what happened there? Jesus just said, back in the Passover meal, I'm not going to drink the grape until I'm in my kingdom. What happens on the cross? Jesus drinks the fourth cup. And what's interesting here is the sour wine that's there is actually wine. It's a cheaper wine that Roman soldiers, it's called Pascha. They drank it in the uh, first, second, and third centuries. It was a cheaper wine, but it was still wine. Jesus says at the Passover meal, I won't drink wine again until I'm in my kingdom. When does he drink wine next? On the cross. And at that moment, he says, it is finished. Now, the word it is finished has given theologians um, a, lot of, a lot of things to think about, right? They're like, what does it mean it is finished? Guess what the benediction at the Passover meal is? It is finished. The Passover meal was incomplete because the fourth cup had not been drunk and the benediction had to be given. Jesus is on the cross he drinks from the fourth cup. And by the way, hyssop, that plant, if you do a little Google search in the Old Testament, hyssop was used to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. Take the hyssop plant, take the blood, and put it on the doorposts. What does Jesus drink the fourth cup in? The hyssop plant. Do you see what God's doing here? That the, that the entire crucifixion was one elongated Passover meal. That the Passover meal wasn't finished yet. And the Hebrews knew that. A Jewish person reading the text would go, it's not done yet. On the cross, Jesus drinks the vine. And he says, now I'm in my kingdom. And he uses the words, it is finished. And in, in, the, um, in the Passover, he uses another line that says, um, next year in Jerusalem. In other words, next year, let's be back in Jerusalem in the promised land with our God, with our promises of God. And then it says, it is finished. The word in is finished. People, theologians say, well, it's the work of God's finished. And all that is true. But to a Jewish person, it's the benediction at the end of the Passover meal. And so when Jesus says it is finished, what he is saying now, this is the final Passover. No longer will animals need to die. No longer will blood sacrifices need to be done because everything now is completed. The Passover, the final Passover has now just been enacted. Jesus drinks the, drinks the last piece of wine and says, it is finished. And at that moment, he gave, up his, uh, he gave up his life. The event of Christ's crucifixion becomes transformed in the understanding, uh, in understanding them in the context of the completion of the Passover meal. 
See, I, I, I want to confess to you, I've, I've preached many a Easter sermon, and I've, I've, I've been in church my entire life, but I never realized the implications of a Jewish Passover meal and the cross. I had no idea about the fourth cup. I had no idea about this stuff. Why? Because we're Gentiles. We're not being raised up in this. We don't understand what's going on. The imagery that Jesus is trying to use to communicate to the people there. To the Jews, they would have said, oh, I understand what's going on. To us Gentiles, a couple of thousand years displaced from it, we're like, this is, this is profound, but I don't quite understand it. On the cross, Jesus finished the Passover meal. He, did, he drank deeply from the cup so that no humanity would not have to deal with God's wrath because of the sins that we commit. And in that moment in time, God's work, his plan is now completed. Sorry, I think I did what I did again. Uh, can't let you put it back up there. Um, thank you. <sighs> Perfect. Um, Jesus drank the fourth cup because that was the plan from the beginning. In the garden, God enacted the plan of redemption for all humanity. Now look again here to what Jesus says in Matthew uh, 26, 24 to 26. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Not a few, not a couple, and not just even the Israelites, but for many. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So what is Jesus saying there? The kingdom of God has arrived. I remember reading this passage many years ago and thinking to myself, this is Jesus talking about when we get to heaven. We're going, to have a, we're going to have a feast together, and we're going to drink the wine together. And I thought, okay, it's, it's a future, future statement. I had no idea that Jesus was talking about a couple of days. I had no idea what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples, is that when I drink this wine, when I, when I drink it again, the kingdom of God has arrived. Redemption is possible. Forgiveness is possible. Reconciliation is possible. Because now the sacrifice, the final Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And all of that was fulfilled. What God enacted thousands upon thousands of years ago is now finally fulfilled upon the cross. Before we come into the Passover, as we celebrate communion, I just want to share a couple of thoughts here. I love what Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This man, Jesus, was handed over you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Now, look what Peter is saying here. People look at Jesus' death and crucifixion as a punishment, as what was happening was wrong. Peter says something differently. He says, listen, it's all part of the plan. This is all part of the plan. Nothing about the Bible is haphazard or random. Nothing about you being here this morning is haphazard or random. God's plan will be fulfilled. And the Passover week, the Passover lamb, Jesus, the Passover lamb, it was all in fulfillment of the promises that God made thousands of years ago. And look what uh, it says in First Peter here. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Empty way of life. Before Jesus, empty way of life. There's no hope. There's, there's, what, what happens after this life? What happens, what he's saying is the empty way of life, right? He's trying to help the reader understand something. Without Jesus, without that hope, we have nothing. But with the precious blood of Christ, look what he says here, a lamb without blemish or defect. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. The writers, the New Testament writers finally understood what was happening. They finally got it. Behold the lamb of God. The lamb goes to the cross, 
dies for the sins, and finally says, it is finished. It's all done. It's all over. All the, the wreck of sin and humanity does not mean that sin doesn't exist today. It just means that forgiveness of sins is now accessible through the Passover lamb being sacrificed for us. The image is this. The blood upon our lives, Jesus' blood. And that's why, if you're not a Christ follower, you kind of freak out sometimes when Christians start talking about blood. You're like, are you vampiric? Why do you, why do you guys talk about blood so much, right? It's the Passover lamb. It's death passing over our lives. It's because the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. I said to you that the two predominant metaphors for sin in the Bible, weight, right? Weight, the weight of sin and the price. There's a price to sin. There's a cost to sin. The Passover lamb fulfills both for us. As we come now, and I'm going to ask the ushers to get ready uh, to um, pass out the emblems. What we are going to be reminded that that cup that you're about to hold in your hands, that's Jesus' cup. That's the cup of redemption. Only Jesus could drink the fourth cup, but we get to drink the third cup to remind ourselves what Jesus did for us. I want you to know something. The hardest thing to understand about Christianity is forgiveness. The hardest thing for you to do is let go of sins in your life. You look at your past, you look at yesterday, you look at this morning, maybe you had an argument before you got here, whatever it is. You look at your life and say, how can God forgive me? And the reason you say that is because you don't understand the cross. And you don't understand what Jesus did. You don't understand what God enacted for thousands of years. You don't understand the love that God has. The only way you can say that, how can God forgive you my sins? It's because you don't understand the cost of the cross. Let's bow our heads. As your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, I ask you to reflect, to think, to meditate. We are about to celebrate communion. This communion is is special because this communion is Passover. And this is the one at Good Friday that we remind ourselves of what Jesus has done. Maybe you're here this morning and there is sin in your life and you know it. But it's unconfessed sin. It's sin you haven't asked for forgiveness for. Or maybe it's sin that you don't believe God will forgive anyways. This is the time. Say, Lord, forgive me. And you don't get to say it's too easy. I was telling somebody about, uh, about the cost. And I had explained it this way. I said, as a child, you can go to your parent and you can say, hey... I need money for a pair of jeans. And say those jeans are $50. You get the money from your parent and you say to yourself, that was easy. But what you don't know is your parent had to work X amount of hours or do X amount of work to earn that. They paid the price. You got the benefit. That's forgiveness. You go to Jesus and you say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. You say, that's too easy. And Jesus upon the cross says it wasn't easy at all. That's forgiveness. And each one of you have access to that this morning because of what Jesus did on the cross. We are now reconciled. We are now able to drink of that cup worthily because of what Jesus has done. So before we drink the cup and celebrate communion, the worship team is going to lead us through a couple more songs, two more songs before we come to communion. And in that time, please, as you sing the songs, and I say this all the time, sing the songs, but listen to the words. Dave's chosen songs that are going to help us to reflect upon what Jesus has done. It's going to help us to come before the cross, reflect on that. And maybe as you're singing, maybe you're praying as well too, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. 
Maybe you're looking at the Passover and looking at what Jesus did in a new light, and I hope that's the case. But whatever it is, just take this opportunity to go before God and ask for forgiveness to have death pass over you. And after that, we will uh, take the emblems together.